0: everybody you want to hear some ads We're brought to you by escrowmybits.com are you pillow talking I'm my i'm gonna use my npr voice it's fast it's super easy and it only takes uh steps that's spanish just register and deposit the bitcoin <laughs> seller ships the item buyer checks the goods and releases the funds and they're also offer bitcoin escrow with a locked exchange rate so even if you're in china Or Canada, or uh, where else? Uh, Japan. Thailand. Thailand. India. Australia.
1: Australia. Kazakhstan.
0: Kazakhstan. If you want to use escrow in Kazakhstan, use escrowmybits.com. Absolutely. They're going to charge you a flat escrow fee of 1% on all escrow transactions, and they even offer you the ability to split the fee. You can split that 1% with another party. That's That's
1: 0.5%.
0: Come on. Come on. Their goal is to make using escrow as simple as possible. So sign up for that newsletter and go to uh, that website and you can escrow your shit with
1: escrowmybids.com.
0: Don't be Beautiful. a tab. Don't be a no tab. No pabs. Uh, Corey, your hometown got a little love in Cedar Hill. Uh, Cedar Hill. New ATM up in there. So tell all your uh, childhood pabs to go there. Um, makes them a top three operator now globally. So, um, you know, we're brought, to, we're brought to you by them. Can't talk. The most trusted name of Bitcoin ATMs located in Houston, Fort Worth, Dallas, uh, and seven other U.S. cities, a lot more. Download the Athena Bitcoin wallet on the App Store or Google Play. And for specific locations and more information, visit athenabitcoin.com. And last but not least, we're also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin's portfolio company, bitquick.co, the secure, quick, and easy peer-to-peer Bitcoin marketplace where you can get Bitcoin for cash in as little as three hours. BitQuick has been serving Bitcoiners since 2013, where there's a bank, there's BitQuick.
2: Man, I'm so happy to have a Bitcoin ATM close to my house, because I'm tired of giving people money when I'm trying to explain to them about Bitcoin. so much easier to just be like, hey man, that's a Bitcoin ATM close to us, let's go get you some Bitcoin with your own damn money.
1: I'm going to regret if Bitcoin blows up all the Bitcoin I've given away in the past four
2: years. I I keep buying it.
1: (laughs) That's true. I do always
0: re-up. All right. Let's start the show.
3: Anything's possible, though, because, you know, Bitcoin is money, so, you know, money talk, man.
0: Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast powered by Cointelegraph. What began as a small experiment is now a rapidly expanding ecosystem. As citizens of the internet, we expect to be able to send money over the internet as quickly and cheaply as sending an email. As citizens of the internet, we demand transparency. Here we talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain industries, fintech, and more. But we're not experts, we're just three guys in the Bitcoin community. And adoption is the only thing that matters. Hey everybody! Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast episode nine zero. I'm your first host. Oh Richello.
1: shit! Hell yeah! I'm host number two, D.
2: Number ninety. I'm host number three. Said that almost ninety times, Corey.
0: Number ninety. And we opened up yeah. our Slack, so we appreciate everybody coming in there talking to us. It took us ninety episodes to do it. Yeah. Thank you for talking to us.
3: Yeah.
2: It's good to have people on.
0: To hear what the community wants to
2: say to us. Thanks for joining us, those of you who are listening to us and joined the slack. We enjoyed the conversation y'all are bringing to us, giving us new topics to talk about, things to think about, what y'all care about.
0: Yeah, Definitely. like, learn that we don't talk enough about altcoins, so maybe we can spill a little bit of that on our uh,
3: that. We podcast. Talk, paper,
0: you know. That was immediately
2: followed up by Ethereum, which is something we talk about quite often.
1: <laughs> uh, I try to find that every... I mean, I've come to find every time we try to talk we usually get into this GIF battle, like, and whoever says gif is just not a really a human being. But I was trying to look at the things that I wanted to discuss this week and fell into a hole of like thirty-five GIFs using the gift
2: keyboard. Valerian,
0: Valerian went on a gift a gifting spree. And then Corey <laughs> wondered, "Where is Little Wayne nowadays?" So that's where that <laughs> ended. Our so conversation, good stuff.
3: There's a yeah, so Mace
1: to
4: <laughs> We're not gonna talk about Bitcoin very
1: much. <laughs> yeah, we keep it really light on the Bitcoin. There's a Mace GIF in here. Mace is a reverend.
0: It's a hard one to track down. GIF keyboard. Yeah. Job. So if it, that and if you're on the up and up on Little Wayne happenings, feel free to weigh in.
2: Yeah. One thing that did come up on the topic of the conversation.
0: You you like this earlier
2: today, I think. Cello. Michael releases uh, debut EP vinyl on Open Bazaar ahead of in-store release. Yep. For those of you that don't know, Cello is a vinyl head. Mm-hmm. like it.
1: What are Dude, some of the, the things collector.
0: you like so much about vinyl, though? He's a collector, man. Yeah, also, you know, uh, you can just hit next and stream the song you want to listen to, or you can hold it in your hands. So it's just a different experience to listen to music. That's all. It's just another way to take it in. What you can hold like music the audio quality in your
2: hands.
0: I'm oh, not yes. one of those hipsters that's going to tell you it's a warmer sound. For me, it's just a different way to take in the music. And you know, when you, I, I like the action of flipping the vinyl over, and I like actually sitting down and paying attention to the song. I feel like a lot of time we listen to music in the car or just in the background, and we don't pay enough attention to it. So it's just a way for me to just sit down and concentrate. Would you say you feel like you're?
2: Uh, more a part of the experience and like getting or paying more attention to what the artist is trying to say when you listen to a
0: vinyl as opposed well to streaming it. I think that's accurate. And it's expensive. So it's not, it's not an easy hobby to get into. <laughs> so is it is it the physical medium aspect of it that makes
2: you feel that way? Or is it you taking the time of day like you, you, like, you have to go through a certain amount of steps in order to listen to this music.
0: Yeah, like, you got to put the kids down. You got to tell the wife to shut up for a little bit. You got to pour a drink. <laughs> you got to pull up a chair. There are, there's a lot of steps to go into enjoying a vinyl record. All right, so it's, it's, it's the
2: inconvenience factor, almost, that makes you, it forces you to appreciate the music a little more.
0: Yeah, it's harder to listen to. It's way more expensive. It's, it's like the most inconvenient, satisfying hobby that I have. All right, so why isn't Bitcoin
2: like the, the best thing in the world? Because it essentially has, right at this moment, all of those qualities compared to
3: uh,
2: buying something in like a store in a standard way. Is that is that our appeal to using Bitcoin? Is that it's it's a the little extra inconvenience it takes to do the same things with regards to simple transactions in real life? That's not my appeal. You think that adds to the experience of actually like thinking about money and where you're using it?
1: I don't know. I've been using Bitcoin so long, I kind of forgot like why I was so fired up about it. I got to re-find it. Like, like, are we the vinyl?
2: Are we the vinyl connoisseurs of money?
1: Maybe we are.
0: Maybe we're fucking snobs. Maybe we're money snobs. But isn't Bitcoin more convenient than banks and traditional money and high transaction fees and three to five days to wait to get money in your bank account? Yeah, under some circumstances.
2: As a youth, but as a user, for standard operational procedure for buying something at a grocery store or paying for a restaurant or getting a cup of coffee, it's really not that big, big of a difference. It's for think, these edge cases that, that you know Bitcoin has a severe advantage over, like microtransactions and things like that, where it's really going to shine, in my opinion. Or do you think I'm wrong? I
1: think when you put Bitcoin through the filter, and then you boil it, and then you run it through the filter again, and then you distill it, and boil it, and run it through the filter, the only real advantage that comes to someone in our position, American— is the maybe the identity theft portion of it? It inoculates me uh, when I'm buying things online with Bitcoin, using my Jaxi wallet or my Airbits wallet or my whatever the hell wallet I happen to be using on the whatever day it is. I'm kind of inoculated, like I don't have to worry about my financial identity being ganked by some Russian hacker.
2: So do you think that people who don't know about Bitcoin that don't worry about those things is because they're ignorant of those things or is it that they just don't give a shit?
1: Yes. And I think they're going to be prey for the future uh, fucking pirates of the world where they're just like, what keeps happening to my money? And then there's going to be this crazy new risk factor that banks assess you with and then they charge you penalties and fees because you're unwilling to educate yourself in a digital world and that's. It's the future. I'm seeing it now. And you're going to keep getting hacked, and your shit's going to keep getting stolen. Somebody's going to buy a house in your name, and you're fucked. And Bitcoin kind of inoculates you from that. And everybody else who doesn't know about those things, uh, it falls into those categories of people that we say are not responsible for their digital existence in this 21st century that we live in.
0: Well, Yeah. yeah. Got deep. Right now, the people that, that want to know Bitcoin are taking the initiative to know about it. What we need to do is the people that aren't seeking out information about Bitcoin, they need to know about it. Yeah. What about, what
2: about this, uh, this? Going back to like what brought us up to this initial conversation
0: is people are
2: releasing things on Open Bazaar in their own personal store that they hold on their computer at home before they release it to everywhere else and that gives people I guess an incentive to use Bitcoin or like an incentive to find out how to use Bitcoin if they're really interested in buying these things before they're available normally.
0: Yeah this is like the, the go around for Image in Heaps by Celio so if you don't want to buck the system by streaming this is a good way to get your product out the traditional way. Alright. Uh,
1: yeah. Um. Uh sorry, I lost my whole track of thought there. Somebody dive there. in. Somebody dive in. Dive in there.
2: And that, that sounds good to me. I like guess it's, it's it's right now. Like you have to give someone a reason to use Bitcoin other than something else. And like, as as a as a seller, as someone who's selling things, if I can give someone an incentive to buy my album using Bitcoin then I definitely want to do that because I'm getting 100% of the profit. I'm not having to go through a middleman. I mean, cryptocurrencies are taking the middleman out of services that we use to do things. So the services, on the same order of magnitude of like ease of use for the person buying things, but for the seller, you can gain quite a bit. You, you take a lot of fees out of the situation. You get rid of chargebacks. There's a lot of reasons to use Bitcoin if you're selling things and yeah. so like for instance this this ep getting released on open Bazaar, whoever bought that ep made gave all of their money directly to the person selling it and that's that's a new paradigm that you don't really think about as consumers we just think about getting whatever the hell we want and having it but if, yeah. you're, if you're selling stuff or if you're making content this becomes a huge deal for you it becomes it's a it's a it's a it's a massive moneymaker in comparison to how you would normally do things
1: it does yeah. it opens up
0: go ahead Joe. i'm just saying you know like nas snoop 50 they all tried to do this i just felt like they did it they did it the wrong way they were trying to give you an option other than fiat and right now and it's if it's fiat's gonna win nine times out of ten but these guys on open bazaar they're forcing you to be innovative and to give them the power and i think they're doing it right yeah,
2: I don't
1: I think that uh, you're right. It does open up a whole new market, a whole new opportunity for artists to directly get paid for the goods that they put out. That's new. That's kind of cool, new. though,
2: as well. To say like, if I were the person who bought this album, and I was like, "Oh man, who is this?" I like I'm, I'm showing it to my friend. We're we're digging it, and he's like, "Where'd you get this?" It's like oh, I bought it directly from the guy who made it, right? Yeah. Like if you're if you're running an open bazaar store, it's you running that open source unless you pay somebody to do it. But I mean, you're not going through any intermediaries like how I streamed it on Spotify. So you, it's like so many degrees of freedom away from the actual artist that you don't know if you're really contributing to the artist or whoever made that content.
0: Listen, I've done this before too. And it's very gratifying to buy something straight from the artist. You feel like you're, you're
2: showing the artist that you care about what they're doing and they're actually getting that feedback as opposed to you streaming it all day on Spotify, they don't. you don't know if that artist knows that you're streaming the thing on Spotify, but they know that you bought their album directly from them.
3: Mm. That's,
2: that that's must one make... of those things. It's like you, you want to give appreciation to the things that you like and show the people who are creating it that you like it. That must make me a
1: really lazy consumer because I'm just like, give me the, the fucking music that I want right now, Spotify. I don't... I. I want to plug in smooth hip hop and you bring me smooth hip hop. And that's what I want. I don't give a damn oh, who dude, it is.
0: Have you ever there's, listened to us? Have you ever listened to a song though? And you're like, you know what? I want to support this artist directly. You know, I, I, I streamed his whole album. Every song is a banger. I'm going to buy something or I'm going to buy a shirt from his merch store with Bitcoin or something.
1: I don't know if I've ever been moved like that by a musician. All right,
0: let's, let's, let's put it on the flip side. Do you
2: want people to talk to us, who like our content? Do you want them to reach out and say something to us and tell them to, tell tell us that they appreciate it? Yeah, but they are. How you do you feel that. as a content creator? Well, I mean, a few do that out of the thousands that listen to us.
1: Oh, yeah. So I'd like for them to to talk to
2: reach out. So as a content creator, someone who makes things and makes it for people to listen to and enjoy, you hope that. People will reach out and say that they enjoy it, and that
0: you kind of get that uh, yeah. positive reinforcement that you're doing something that people enjoy. Just start start here, D. You listen to a Kid Cudi song you like. Just send Kid Cudi a tweet. Be like, "Man, this song. Thank you for making it." You can you yeah. can just start free. And you can start small, and that's just a way to show appreciation to content creators.
2: That's why you Twitter was I mean? so
3: big.
0: Yeah, but you
1: really know about nothing. Didn't. is that how the lyrics go? Or oh, not? not. Sure you can just go form. to
0: your, you go to your KFC, Taco Bell, and just keep streaming music. Hey,
1: I only go to my KFCs <laughs> if they're inside of Taco Bell's. Okay.
0: I like to smell of chicken and tacos. At chicken the safe- in the left nostril, tacos in the right nostril.
1: That's right. It doesn't sound bad. <laughs> Give me a crispy taco and put some of those KFC mashed potatoes on it. All right. <laughs> Pushing
2: it.
1: <laughs> I didn't really know about nothing. Is that how the lyrics go? I really. It's been a while since I. Yeah, that, that is a spot
2: on cutty. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the
4: cutty noise. Whatever happened to our segment
2: of D de- impersonating a black dude talking about Bitcoin. Yeah,
3: cutty. <laughs> yeah. for, for like our yeah. diehard
2: listeners, they'll definitely remember that segment we had for like ten episodes strong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I think I killed it when I like impersonated a person in a black dude.
1: So if Kid Cudi walked into a Seven Up, it's not Seven Up, that's a soda, but a Seven Eleven. If Kid Cudi walked into a Seven Eleven, it would it be like as he go, "You guys take Bitcoin, yeah"? Is that, <laughs> <laughs> is that how it goes? Uh, Vroom, room, room, reason. give me room,
3: man.
2: <laughs>
1: Room, room, give me room, boom. Got an Airbus wallet. Yeah. That's the kid cutting noise. As long as you say <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Would you like a massage today, sir? Yeah. Alright, enough. <laughs> um
2: that's uh that's let's transition into <laughs> into the wonderful world of VC. Yeah. Yeah, let's so, let's get get into our uh
1: Oh yes, right. Before we do that, before we do that, imagine yeah. you were a venture capitalist, Corey. And I'm gonna ask you the same question, Joe yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> to our podcast day and night. Day and <laughs> night. Um would you so if you were a venture capitalist and someone pitched something to you, what would be something that you would say, okay. I'll open my wallet to your idea. What's something uh, right now? I don't know. The, I don't,
2: if I had that idea, I'd be making it right now. Uh,
1: no, that's what VCs do. They they put money into things that they would love in their lives and want to make. Yeah, but they
2: get pitched. they get they get pitched by people who have created a certain level of business. They already had a certain level. They've already created an MVP or they're at their point of an MPV, MP, MVP. MVP Minimum viable, minimum viable Product, for those that don't know that acronym, not Most Viable Player. And, and they say, all right, I'm at a point now where this is a realistic goal that I'm trying to do. It is a realistic plan in terms of making money. Now I need some money to make it happen. And so when people get pitched ideas, VCs get pitched ideas, these things are already companies that have saw sound logic behind what they're doing they've you know they have market pricing they understand unit costs they understand what they're doing and how to scale and so on and so forth it's not just me saying what if we put like i don't know wallets on toasters and then made them talk to each other with like maybe like i don't know and the internet like that that's not getting any money it's people with real sound ideas and a real business plan and 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 they're taking care of a market that's a global market and not some very niche area of the economy, right? And so as a VC, you, you get pitched a lot of crap. You get pitched a lot of ideas that may be good ideas, but don't have a good sound business plan behind them, so you can't put money to them. So it's, it's really hard to say. And if you're dumb money, you're going to lose all that money that you're VC behind.
1: Did you – you must not you, have read lots of fiction novels
2: in your past. No, I'm just Practical. <laughs> I was If you were I've a, read a, a ton of fiction models in my past, that's the majority of what I've read is science fiction. If you I'm were pragmatic. a VC,
1: I said, like a hypothetical, like what is one idea that would blow you away, and you would say, "I'm like, like yes, I know, I'm like, I know what I
0: would do.
2: I'm like Hermes on on Futurama. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, turn everything you're asking into a bureaucracy. It's gonna be very boring." <laughs>
1: All right. What would you do, Cello? I'm gonna shoot this question to Cello because I'm sure he'll actually answer. It.
0: Rap game.
3: Um,
0: like if, I think if you're a VC and you're gonna back an entrepreneur, you don't date, you marry. So if you're gonna, you need to get involved with an idea that you're gonna spend the next five, ten years with. You want to get involved with with technology and problem sets and markets that you want to spend a decade with. So here's the one thing that's always stood. With me is when Lawnmower came over and they had that that idea called Pagey. and I think that that is a million dollar idea.
3: He's I think that's going to be around.
0: About is okay. Let's say you uh, you get a Harry Potter book, but you only want to read the first ten pages, uh, or you are a college student and you have a college book, but only one chapter applies to what you're trying to learn. You can pay with cryptocurrency by the page instead of buying a whole book, you can buy as much or as little as a book <laughs> recreational or educational um, by the page. And I think that that's uh, going to be relevant five, 10 years from now. So I, I think that'd be a solid investment. If I was a VC,
1: I could see that taken off in the educational world.
0: There's lots of dare books. I, yeah. I mean, dare I say better than lawnmower, but, 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 but. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I would do?
1: I would invest in a company that, of course, it would be crypto-related somehow, psych. It probably wouldn't for what it does, but it would tie a producer's beats to a rapper's style and create the perfect hip-hop artist every time. If you could somehow, like...
0: Well, that was Illmatic.
1: Huh? Yeah, so just be Illmatic after Illmatic every time. Take a producer's beats in his style and then match it with whatever hip-hop artists, whichever rapper's out there. And What is using, the, name, like, the
2: cryptocurrency coming into this?
1: Uh, people pay with Bitcoin. There you go. Boom.
2: <laughs> here's a good <laughs> idea. Tack I'm on just pay like, with crypto. It doesn't matter what it is. it's
0: like it's, here's Ice cool cream idea. that doesn't yeah. melt with crypto. Pay
2: with, pay with crypto.
0: Ice cream <laughs> that doesn't melt. I'll invest in that. Gum be, with forever flavor. Pay it with crypto.
1: No, I'll tell you right now what I'll invest in and it has nothing to do with crypto again but the first person who makes chicken fillet the you, I've said it before the restaurant it's only open across the street from Chick-fil-A and it's only open on Sundays
3: <laughs> Sundays
1: called chicken fillet so I, swear,
2: I only want to go to Chick-fil-A on Sunday
1: everybody only wants to go to Chick-fil-A on Sunday so you get in your car and you drive and you're like fuck yeah Chick-fil-A waffle fries what the fuck oh yeah they're and super devil religious
0: food. Devil cakes <laughs>
1: Yeah, <laughs> so it serves chicken sandwiches and devil cakes, and that's all it is. I say that chicken.
0: there should be a crypto Shark Tank, and then you you know you come on the show, you pitch us an idea, and we'll oh. back you. with Holy some, cow. some crypto thing,
1: dude. You that's could just hit. No, it's you, not, but it should be. You could just hit one of the. There's all those venture capital shows nowadays. There's Adventure Capitalist, which is ridiculously dumb, but I watch it, and then there's. And then there's the Shark Tank show
2: which is winning Emmys or some shit like that. And then they had the the original one from I think it was London called Dragons Den. Dragons Den's good. So they well, need to make good. one
1: called uh Crypto cr- Crypto Locker where they like I don't know. They need to do something make make like a digital currency VC show and then bring it to the mainstream. Boom, we win. Anyways,
0: come on,
1: come on. There go. let's segue. Segue. So we back. got a guy on the show today named Scott Robinson. Yeah, and, I like Scott. And uh, let's, let's let me tell you something. Ooh, Ooh, Ophelia loves him. That's for sure. Uh, he's worked with Plug and Play. He boosts fintech startups. He's boosted lots of them.
0: I I should specify, he has the largest accelerator. A lot of people get accelerator and incubator confused. Accelerators, they accelerate growth. Incubators incubate ideas with the hope to build out a business. So accelerators focus on scaling a business. Incubators are often focused on innovation. He's an accelerator. Mm. I think that's important to specify. That is a very thing, important thing to specify, and that becomes clear in the interview as well. Yeah, he's accelerated over seventy fintech startups, so he's a, I mean, I mean, you're talking about six degrees of separation. This guy knows everybody, so he's a good, good guy to. If he's your friend, you're doing good in life.
2: He's we'll like one away from Kevin Bacon. Yeah, uh,
0: he probably knows Kevin.
2: Bacon.
1: I see what you did there, Corey. Uh, I'm. Sorry. Isn't it it's supposed to be seven degrees? And then you subtract it. Is it seven? I thought it was like four. I thought I'm pretty sure it was seven. It's either seven or eighty three.
0: I, I don't know. Let's uh let's let's continue. Why did Why did he agree to do that movie, The Hollow Man? That was a bad movie. <laughs> every time was someone mentions Kevin Bacon, man. I think Hollow Man. I'm sorry.
1: I I definitely don't think Hollow Man. I think Trimmers.
3: Do you every exactly.
0: Every time. Yeah, I think streamers. Oh, be yeah, because he's like, I'm invisible, and then it starts raining, and they're like, "Oh, there you are, Hollow Man. I could clearly see your <laughs> outline. It's raining, yeah. right there." I
1: thought it was creepy when he like creeped out on his ex girlfriend, invisible. Like that was, that was creepy.
2: I feel like he felt like it was creepy, like because you do that.
1: Huh? Nothing. And here it is. Go see Hollow Man later, Rent it. There's a sequel. I know. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <is>. <laughs> no, no, there's a third one called like Hollow Woman.
0: There's a Hollow Trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> really?
1: Yeah.
2: Wow. Oh, here it is. I think that was a fun conversation. Start talking.
4: Sure. All right. Well, um, I can give you some background, how I got into the space and uh, some of the things I'm doing in that. Um, I'm Scott Robinson, the founder and the VP of our fintech initiative here at Plug and Play. Um, For those of you that aren't familiar with Plug and Play, we've been investing in startups since the late 90s with uh, a few good wins in our portfolio, including things like uh, PayPal, Lending Club, Dropbox. So, Plug and Play has been investing in early stage startups for now roughly twenty years. We have a number of different facilities around the world. Um, I'm located in our headquarters here in Silicon Valley, uh, where we have a building that fits about four hundred and ten companies at any given time. So, always a lot of activity. Um, we at Seed Invest we also offer co working space, and um, you know more and more we're launching what we would call these vertical open innovation consortium programs. So, sounds like a lot of Right there, but really what that means is we capture a lot of uh, corporate partners in a particular industry um, as a means to uh, help expedite our startups get to market faster. And what we found in our experience is um, working with large corporations, uh, particularly those with a significant channel to the consumer, uh, really helps the startup grow very quickly and it helps round out the products in a pretty unique way. Um, But as it relates to Bitcoin and what we've done there, um, I mean, frankly, this was more of a, you know, for me, a, a, a side project um, dating back to 2012 and 2013. I got lucky enough to uh, get tipped off by some of my friends down at UCLA that, hey, there's this thing online called Bitcoin. It's a digital currency. And, you know, of course, the reason that they were um, looking for <laughs> for use cases there is they, they thought it was kind of weird and interesting how you could buy drugs online. So that was how I was introduced to it. I read a Gawker story later, obviously, but um, I was intrigued. I was you know, very interested to hear about this digital currency because at the time I was working in education technology and a lot of the problems we were running into is just the ability to kind of distribute funds to those in emerging markets and trying to you know, find ways to create opportunity for startups to come or excuse me, for students to come. Um, you know, from elsewhere into the United States, K through 12 education system. And the problems that we kept running into is it's always about funding. Funding was always a big problem. Teachers never had enough time or resources to help with, with this stuff. And the concept of being your own bank um, was pretty interesting. Uh, and so as I dove into the white paper and got to know a lot of the folks um, here in the Sunnyvale area, um, I happened to stumble across meeting Roger Ver and going to his meetup. Um, so that was, you know, between 2012 and 2013, uh, we would hang Sushi Club around here, and you know it was probably twenty or thirty people, a bunch of scraggly, bearded, you know, definitely developer type guys, showing up, talking about how they're going to overthrow the central governments and uh, the financial institutions of the world, and you know there, there was a lot of uh, certainly exciting. I'm sorry, guys, I'm on a podcast. Um, <laughs> I'm not picking them up. Okay, surprisingly. But anyhow, what ended up happening is. Uh, sorry, I didn't give you any notice. My bad. Um, yeah, we, we have a pretty fun ship here, but it's always moving. So, uh, but anyhow, you know, ended up going to this meetup run by Roger, So I got to meet a lot of the early folks in the space. So, you and Jace would show up and, um, we had a bunch of other people that, you know, are pretty well known now as far as the core development team. So I got a good insight into kind of what Bitcoin could be and, um, you know, that was really the tip of the iceberg because uh, it was around, I don't know, May 2013 when that first big conference was here in San Jose. Um, and then at the same time, Roger had to leave the country. So there was this opportunity to take over this Bitcoin meetup. And um, we obviously had the space and I got a good deal because my wife runs the events here at Plug and Play. So I was able to host the uh, the meetup here every Tuesday. And you know over the course of the past three years, roughly, we've had hundreds of speakers um, and, and we were really lucky to, you know, to. To push, I think what my, my main agenda was is just socializing and educating the world about what this thing is and what it could be. Um, so, you know, everyone from Charlie Schramm to Edmund Moy, or, um, you know, a lot of the folks over at Coinbase or 21. I mean, I've, I've had the, you know, the very good opportunity to speak with virtually everyone that's in the domain um, as a result of just taking over this meetup. And so, it was that fall, 2013, probably around October, after we'd been running it for a few weeks. And, and mind you, the first meetup we held here there might have been 15 people that showed up. And this is, of course, all before the huge uptick in price. So I think it was August 2013. It was hovering around 75, 80 dollars, and then later that that fall it hit 100. Um, that September, and you know the big tick up previously was uh, up to about 260 that April of 2013. So more and more people began to be interested, and then finally, you know, when the when the price skyrocketed that that fall to winter, um, clearly it was proportionate to how many people showed up at the meetup. So that October, um, before the big uh, Inside Bitcoins conference that would come about later in Vegas, um, we had a gentleman named Michael um, who had founded a company, uh, My Simon, and he'd sold that for about seven hundred million dollars. And he came to the meetup, and it just so happened my CEO showed up for the one time that he did show up to this meetup. Um, <laughs> And uh, this guy, Michael, turns to Said and he says, you know, Saeed, uh, I was going to a club just like this in the 1970s. Um, it was called Homebrew. I met two guys named Steve and Steve. I saw you know, this little wooden plank with a bunch of you know, computer components on it. And I, I'm watching right now the same energy and excitement I saw, you know, back before. Obviously, he's talking about Apple and the Homebrew Club. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he said to Saeed, you should be excited about this and pay attention. And so then my my CEO turned to me and said, Scott, um, go make a Bitcoin program. So that was like my 20% project, create a Bitcoin accelerator program. And so, um, we kicked that off that December, um, through an expo, one of our events that we hold here in front of a few hundred people. And on the panel, um, we made a point of bringing a bunch of folks that were involved in the space. So Vinnie Lingham, who at the time was with gift, um, David Johnston, who was working on that master coin project and things like that, of course, is working with Factum, uh, David Chen, Lightspeed, uh, an investor. Um, And then we also had Chris Larson from Ripple and uh, Adam B. Levine from Let's Talk Bitcoin. So it was a great panel and a great introduction for us. And then um, later in 2014, that February, we brought in four companies. So that was 37 Coins, Holy Transaction, PurePal, um, and Purse.io. And so with that, we got some good traction with the companies. They did well and, you know. Um, of those four, I would say probably uh, Andrew and the first team are doing the best. We've seen a lot of great growth yeah, they're doing from really them. Fantastic! They're doing a lot of things in the in the mix right now that are coming out soon. And so. yeah, so it's it's been exciting to watch that um, and see how much he and the team has grown there. And and really, you know, if you ask me, it's one of the the core kind of real use cases in market and in, in production right now. It's worth paying attention to in Bitcoin. So it was very exciting. And then that summer. Uh, summer 2014, we heard USAA and BBVA and a bunch of other these large FIs were looking to make an investment into, into a Bitcoin company. And so for context, we had been running these corporate programs outside of Bitcoin in retail and, um, and other domains like that. And it, the idea was, let's, let's open this up into a financial technology program. And leverage some of the relationships that we could build out, um, you know, across the domain, whether it's investment, retail, transactional banks, or exchanges, or, you know, let's solve the big problems in finance and leverage the Bitcoin technology to, to offer, you know, a true open source element. And so, I, you know, for me, I kind of straddle, and I, this has been a real struggle for me the past couple of years. Is you know, I come from a Bitcoin perspective, and of course, Bitcoin is perhaps the most important thing in my end. Um, and yet, I hear this kind of dichotomy of you know the FI saying, "Oh, well, we don't like Bitcoin; we like the underlying technology." And to me, that's very—it resonates a lot with what we heard in the, in the mid '90s with the with the internet and the information superhighway concept, because you know, not a lot of people recall, but it was thought that at and and some of these large um, telecoms would be, you know, they would be the founders and creators and the implementers and enablers of the internet. So at and would make this, you know, the information superhighway, and you would all expect that that that, that was what was going to happen. And of course, that's not how it turned out. It was all about um, open source offerings and layering upon that all these different technologies and um, solutions that really, I think, in, imbibe this concept of innovation and you know, there was no request required to go and build something on this internet because hey if you had the stack or you know the correct dial-up or the, the correct information to, to uh, you know, push information live, this was available to you and it didn't require any, any permission anywhere um, So since then um, since I have since we decided we would pivot into general financial technology, we've still held a very significant track in Bitcoin and blockchain. And so I've led about 13 investments in the domain just for Bitcoin and blockchain related companies. So that includes uh, folks like NetKey or we did an investment in ChangeTip and, uh, you know, a bunch of other companies that are really more or less infrastructure plays that we've been looking at. And then with that, tying it to a lot of our financial institution partners so that, um, you know, the big picture uh, allows our startups to understand what these FIs struggle with and hopefully either beat them to market and solving that or leverage the channel that the FI offers to the consumer such that they can build something that's transparent and accountable together.
2: So Uh let me stop here. I got a quick question, I guess, because you've been in this space for a very long time. In the beginning when you got in, there wasn't a lot of, there may have been a lot of startups, but the, I guess, the, the, the pool of startups wasn't very broad. And as time has gone on, you've seen, you've seen a massive bloom and what people are trying to do, and the amount of startups has, has definitely grown exponential. So, as a company who tries to fund real good startups, what's going to be the the future of this industry? How do you not throw money at everything? What's your selection process? How do you like what what makes a good startup for you? And does it have to fall within a certain, I guess, uh, area for you to even consider it v- valuable?
3: Right.
4: Well. Let me answer that, but kind of, I'll back up and give the context for Lending Club and PayPal, because we know that they've been successful, obviously. I mean, maybe Lending Club, not so much in the recent few months, but you know, they certainly have been over the past few years. And so, I mean, frankly, you know, I, as well as many other investors probably could say, we see the same idea 10, 20 different times, right? Um, and the, the unique startups that become successful are always about execution. So, when you look at PayPal um, and and what they offered, I mean the, their client and customer acquisition strategy was very unique. The pairing with with eBay made it a very unique go to market strategy. So there was clearly some elements there of execution that I think, you know, beyond the fact that you had incredible founders with incredible tech talent building mm-hmm. this um, with a huge idea that had not been, um, you know, solved to that to that end at that point. Um, I think there's probably three main parameters that I'm looking for at least in the Bitcoin space. One. I don't want a company that's just solving a Bitcoin problem, frankly. Like the, what we've seen so many times and times again, like through the years, we get approached. Yeah, we're a Bitcoin company. And what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to build traction through critical mass with the Bitcoiners. And then from there, we're going to expand out and, you know, we'll scale that way. And, and that may work in certain use cases. But, you know, for the most part, it doesn't. And I mean, Bitcoin offers so much more than that. Right. It's not it's, it just seems so seems so belittling for somebody to think that way. I think the bigger picture is, does your idea solve a huge international problem to begin with, regardless of whether it's Bitcoin or blockchain stack to begin? Mm-hmm. And that's question number one. Question number two is always, how are you lever- leveraging the actual technology? You know, we, we see a lot of startups that say we're doing blockchain crowdfunding or this and that. And the reality is, is well, are you just throwing in keywords because that's what's hot right now? Yeah. And You know, there's probably three or four major parameters in the checklist that we would have and looking at how you're leveraging blockchain. One is tell us which blockchain you're using. And clearly, you know, there's probably only two or three in market right now that would make sense to be using. Obviously, Bitcoin, Ethereum and maybe a couple others. There's there's soon to be a number of uh, new ones coming to market. But, you know, as far as in production, that's very limited. Secondly, is the actual use case requiring of those mistrusting parties? And that's probably more important. Um, because from a database structuring perspective, you can solve a lot of the same issues through some you know, a SQL solution or, or elsewhere. Mm-hmm. What is the integrity of that data required and, and to the scope, you know, how much of a latency and sharing that is required. Um, so when you consider then that second kind of element. So, for example, now I'll go to Lending Club, uh, you know, Lending Club, when they first launched. Um, it was a crazy idea. Nobody would have thought of peer-to-peer lending. In the same way, it's probably being perceived right now—peer-to-peer insurance or something like mm-hmm. that. It's flipped the entire business model. And the reason why it's so scary to most folks is because, well, the underlying granularity requirements of, say, tracking each potential investor and the impact and liabilities associated with these contracts between that that contract of lending uh, was just simply almost impossible to manage. And obviously, now since technology has played a huge role, now that's shifted. So with Lending Club. It was a unique, huge idea, and it was very um, disruptive to the concept of how money functioned and how it it was basically being led. And so when you look at Bitcoin and blockchain companies today, the question is more, you know, what is the scope for which this could change how finance functions as opposed to what is the scope for which how Bitcoin and then thereafter. And impact can be felt. So I want problems to be solved that are like field mapping for smart accounting that leverage smart contracts that give me solvency understanding of an entity that, you know, from there can automate the back office and then push out, you know, a factoring solution like that's all possible today. It's Mm -hmm. all possible. It's just not there. Um, So that's, that's more or less kind of where I would focus on and, and from a plug and play perspective. I think when you look at the domain and what we're seeing right now, there's probably three or four areas that most of the activity is occurring. Uh, one is you know, obviously settlement, two is trade finance, three is compliance, and four is kind of like record keeping, which kind of hooks in with compliance. And so in the cases of settlement, um, it's very much a top-down approach. You have a lot of, you know, and, and same with trade finance for that matter. Um, it's very archaic and, you know, you're, you're dealing with legacy functions and behaviors that are very hard to change, right? So your build lading or or even some of the the credit offerings of how the the trade finance transaction might occur, you know, often you would need the port authorities uh, inclusion and collaboration. And and so there's just a lot of players and constituents there that make it very difficult for you to actually bring this solution live. Um, So that's another big question that we ask is, you know, how, how many barriers are there for this Mm -hmm. solution to actually go to market? Um, And so some of them are significant. Some, you know, like a company that I would say, you know, is pretty interesting for us right now. Is Nuco that just spun out of Deloitte? Um, so that team, Matthew and and so forth. You know, they they've clearly been developing and incubating this concept when, in conjunction with Deloitte. And I think you know, when you look at the future of what they can offer, that channel is so powerful. And that's the other thing is how many strategic relationships um, or or how many strategics would be interested in this just purely for attraction perspective. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, that's that's really important too. And I think you know, I point back towards folks like Palantir. Um, who you know, landed the JPMorgan Chase 10-year contract in, in the early 2000 era. And with that, as a startup, you, know, you can parade down Sandhill Hill with that referenceable contract and very quickly raise money and scale. And so you know, that's one of the big problems is we've seen only maybe five or six major entities in the Bitcoin space go to market. And yet some of them have not, we haven't seen any, any product or any significant yeah. you know, scaling opportunity. Maybe the wallet side and exchange side, sure. But mm-hmm. apart from that, we're, we're still a ways away.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought that up because there's uh, there's this one company, uh, Abra Global, that raised like $12 million last year. Do they still need to be in that incubator type environment?
4: Well, I guess, I mean, first off, it's a, typical, it's a typical thing I run into. So, you know, at Plug and Play, my program is stage agnostic. And, you know, you hear that a lot. But what that really means is I can't expect two guys, a dog in their garage to serve, say, a global Fortune 500 client. Right. That just doesn't make sense. You simply can't run a pilot in that way. And it's very difficult to get from zero to one with a partner like that. And so I would consider plug and play FinTech more or less a business accelerator, because most of the companies that come through here have at minimum some traction meeting a a referenceable or multiple paying customers. Um, And more importantly, they have the team and ability to serve, you know, say a large financial institution or uh, somebody within the ecosystem that would be relevant. But companies like Abra, which are a little bit you know, beyond, clearly they don't need the help with the product or, or less help in that matter. You know, they have a UI team, marketing team, and they have a sales team. So for us, you know, a company like Abra is a perfect example of a company we would love to work with because that team in and of itself, given you know, the, the cloth that they've been cut from, it doesn't necessarily need a lot of the help that we offer. But there's a lot of companies in the world that you know, come into Silicon Valley and they don't have the ecosystem or the channel or relationships to work with folks. Um, you know, that could be very helpful and strategic. So so to answer your question, Abra, having raised, you know, plus 10, uh, you know, it's a great company, doesn't need to be incubated, may need some help on the business side for business development purposes. But, you know, that's the kind of company we would love to work with. And that's right around the ticket uh, for an investment opportunity we would like to to be playing in. Makes sense.
2: On top of that, I guess, that since you also have this exposure to so many different types of um, new and innovative technologies within the cryptocurrency space. Where do you see the whole of cryptocurrency going in the future? Like what part does it play in our lives? Is it something that everyone knows about or is it going to be one of those underlying technologies? So they know the basic infrastructure of how everything works, but no one knows they're using it. Yeah. And is that going to be uh, on a single blockchain or just spread out across an entire ecosystem of blockchains?
4: So I, you know, in the same way, uh, you know, nobody nobody references packet switching when you're on the internet. Mm-hmm. And the same way that nobody references, uh, you know, the first iterations of TCP. Um, so I would, I would imagine the future of cryptocurrency is very similar to that. Um, it, it will, I, I believe there will be a plethora of different cryptocurrencies, all of which are relevant or tied into each other. They'll be smart. I think a lot of the questions that will be answered in the next five to 10 years um, for us will be, you know, Hard to answer right now in the same way it was hard to say in 1995, hey, there's going to be this you know, unique social media solution with 140 characters that's going to incite an Egyptian revolution. So <laughs> I don't think we would have had any you know, inkling of what that might look like 20 years from then. But the reality is, you know, crypto, cryptocurrencies in particular um, represent a significant technology uh, leap, if you will. And at the core, the crux is the ability to have digital trust. And that digital trust with mediation, um, now being you know, cryptographically proven and then and more importantly transparent or at least uh, spread and decentralized across you know many different exploits that we've seen through data structures similar to that in the past. I think that's a very unique um, time for us because it's, it's a lot like wading through 1990 to 1993 and understanding you know what is this Berners-Lee guy doing and, and why, are, why are all these folks becoming so interested in, in being able to serve up information. Um, so I in my world, I would say I wouldn't be surprised in the next ten years we see, you know, millions and millions of more. And like, you know, use cases could range from, uh, for us, like the carry distribution here at Plug and Play for a unique token that represents, you know, our position in the startup as it grows and, and eventually hits a liquidity event or next, you know, uh, an IPO or something like that, some sort of exit. Like those kinds of things could be unique to me. And then they maybe they hook into, say, a reserve kind of currency solution where everyone just uses it as a swap. So. We saw RBC come out with um, a recent report about how they think you know, Bitcoin would actually be helpful um, when it comes to global reserve currencies. And we've seen the same thing with Santander in their report recently that says, you know, this, this is coming after a credit card industry that is you know, living off margins that are unsustainable, right? So use cases are abundant. It's very hard to foresee where they'll be. Uh, and as everyone would always say, is, you, know, you wanna be the shovel maker and seller, not the gold digger. And so that's the hope is when we look at this domain um, what are the services that we've seen be be implemented in the past um, that have been successful in a technology like this whether it's a, a red hat Linux parallel or um, you know email providers that came about um, as a result of, of what we saw with email protocol so so I guess I guess I'm excited like that's a, good to watch. Way to, yeah.
2: a good way to put that or I guess the way I at least interpret what you're saying is that we're almost at a uh, like in a in a protocol wars right now but the protocols are actually tokenized so those who invest in the winners of these protocol wars end up becoming you know the dot-com billionaires or millionaires of the of the early days for the internet and it's an interesting way to, to look at what a protocol is is this like or like i guess the evaluation of a protocol through tokenization and whatever whichever ones end up winning are the ones that will actually be worth their salt or worth money in the future is, can you would you agree
4: with that I mean, yeah, I mean, part of the big value is the utility of Bitcoin right now, Mm -hmm. in addition to how obviously how how speculative that that space is. But, um, you know, and you've probably heard this before as it relates to Betamax versus VCR. Right. It's the question is not necessarily always about what is the best technology. The question is about how useful is it? um, And and perhaps more importantly, uh, what is the delta requirement for change of behavior to adopt that technology? So if the value of of adopting that technology increases whatever it might be that's important to you, whether it's saving you time or saving you money or, you know, creating a new channel for which you can send and receive money, um, that's important. And then I think we're watching that right now with things like Apple Pay. Um, 74% of the United States users in, in Apple Pay, uh, you know, iOS users have used Apple Pay once, but those that convert to a second time are very small comparatively, less than 10%. And the question that's being begged there is, well, what's the value prop to the consumer that uses it? And it's not particularly significant, nor is it clear. The messaging is not clear to the user. So the user that had a target breach and needed to wipe some fraudulent charges off their credit card had a very simple process. They trust their brand. They called, say, Capital One or whoever and say, these these were not my charges. They wiped them. Within three to five business days, a new card was put out. You know, Cardless distribution is right around the corner. So that's not anything that's going to be new. And, and frankly, the difference between walking up to your Whole Foods and, and you know, punching uh, your your phone in and trying to use the Apple Pay solution versus swiping your card, I mean, even that's not particularly clean either right now. Um, there's such a huge disconnect between the service side. And, you know, I don't know how many times you guys have tried to use your card's phone sales, but, you know, half the time I've seen it, the chip and the and MV is not even implemented, nor do they even understand why it's not working. So no. there goes out the window the whole reason why you've just made, you know, a secure element tokenized payment solution to mitigate against that fraudulent transaction and nobody even gets that. So to the user, it's like, great, I've got a new toy on my phone. It takes me about 20 seconds longer to check out and shit, I got to like, I got to click on three different new things that, whereas last time all I had to do was swipe my card once and sign a, a thing on a line and I was out within eight seconds. So the value prop there is not clear.
2: All right. Then that, that's, that's perfect because it's, you, you spend a lot of time in Silicon Valley and these issues are not a, an, an American problem. Like That's right. For the, to the American consumer, they don't really care because we were, we have pretty much have really good services. But a lot of other countries, I lived in Brazil for a year and a half. I just got back. That it's it's very different, and Brazil is still pretty high up there in terms of the the, the world scale. Uh, do you spend a lot of time trying to focus on fixing their problems because they're the ones that will probably end up leapfrogging the traditional infrastructure?
4: Absolutely. Um... So I was actually just out in Singapore for a financial inclusion event that was put on by uh, the Management University and Professor David Lee there. Um, and so that was, yeah, originally one of the core kind of interests of mine with Bitcoin was the opportunity that would be created from it. And, you know, in the preface of um, The Age of Cryptocurrency, that's a, that's a perfect example. I don't know if you've read that book by uh, Michael Casey and Paul Vigna of The Wall Street Journal, or, or Mike was previously there. But the point is, is you know, it, it really describes Number one, Bitcoin's use case is offering how it can impact politics and governance. Right. So this this Afghani girl um, who typically if she earned an income would have to attribute that to the eldest male in the household, um, built a website, was able to take in revenue from Bitcoin and was able to purchase her own laptop without having to get approval from any other male. That's huge. Right. And that impact on many different reasons is is huge. But perhaps more importantly, from a financial inclusion perspective, you know, that's that same market. And I'll, I'll point towards Indonesia, for example, uh, you know, 18,000 islands, 6,000 of which are inhabited. It doesn't make sense for brick and mortar banks to be on every one of those. And more importantly, the banks don't feel like they're getting enough of a revenue because there's no there's no deposit opportunity there. There's no fee fee availability there. So it's just, it does, the, the numbers just don't add up, add up for them and at the cost of perhaps the financial wellness of an entire segment of population. And so when something like Bitcoin came around, it's very clear. Uh, not only can you be your own bank, but you can send your own money, receive your own money, um, and perhaps build, you know, an entire full stack of financial services that would extend to that demographic that's largely overlooked. And even in the U.S., um, you know, one out of four of the Americans in the United States simply doesn't have a bank account. They can't afford it. Or the value prop of spending $10 a month on a checking account service doesn't make sense. Um, So, I mean, this, this segment in particular, absolutely, you're totally right. In the same way we saw, you know, a lot of the, the infrastructure relating to telecoms leapfrog into the cellular world as opposed to, you know, drawing out a line across the, all of the geography. Um, that's what we expect, and particularly in places like Indonesia, um, and in Latin America, for example, where we see very high engagement on the on the phone, um, whether it's DOM or a smartphone, um, and more importantly, uh, the the behavior s- seems to point towards trust with that device. So, it's ripe for a solution like this. The question is, is who does it in the most simple way, in the same way that we saw. You know the, the value prop for, for PayPal become more and more valuable with eBay, right? So, so it's not quite there. I mean, there are mobile money services out there. We've seen instances in which it's been very successful, like M-Pesa in Kenya or GCash to some degree in the Philippines, and, and there's plenty more that are out there in market. Um, but nobody's really taken the market, and and hopefully it's a company like, um, you know, Abra or somebody else that can that can figure that out. Shelly, you got some?
0: Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm curious, how many applications do you get and how many do you accept? Like, what's your percentage of your, of your accepted rate?
4: Sure. Um, so, this past batch, so we're in batch four currently with 24 companies. Uh, we looked at over, or we had over 800 and something applications. Um, wow. Most of this is direct to our website. Um, we field some through Let's Talk Payments Medici um, application portal, as well as through AngelList and then we're also very active in looking after startups that we would love to have in the program so we we do a combination of you know the inbound that comes in just organically as well as us being at a bunch of events but perhaps more importantly like we'll pay attention to the domain and ferret out those companies that we feel like are winners
2: do you have a problem finding uh, friends that don't ask for money
4: uh, <laughs> i'm a nice guy so i don't i try not to take it personally no i mean I try to look at Ron Conway and folks like that to, to really follow in their footsteps. I think there's a lot of trailblazers out there that have proven how to be nice, but yet understand. You know, a lot of people come after you for what you can offer. You know, there's there certainly those in Silicon Valley and elsewhere that you know see the money signs or the network that we can offer. And you know, that's tough to. It's tough to say no to people. So that's something we've had to learn over the past year because the program continues to be more competitive and there's a lot more value that we're bringing to the table. Um, but I've got some great friends, and you know, for me, at the end of the day, it's about trust. You know, so trust comes with a that's actually long standing. That, that right?
2: works, uh, I guess, nicely. Would you consider? I mean, I personally, I would think that the connections, experience, wisdom that you offer as as an accelerator is more important than the actual financial compensation you give. And that's right, especially with the way technology works with 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 cryptocurrencies. Is this kind of piecemeal puzzle wise? Um, you're not building the entire thing. You you rely on other applications that work, uh, kind of almost. I wouldn't say autonomously, but you don't have to rely on uh, building the full stack. And being in a, an incubator or accelerator such as yours, you provide a lot of those opportunities to make businesses work better than they may have uh, even thought they could while building their own business.
4: That's right. I mean, there's, I mean, there's three or four big benefits that come by way that are not you know, related to the capital that we deploy. And, you know, we don't. So as part of the program, we do. We offer the office space and the curriculum for free. We don't take any equity stake in any of the companies um, unless we agree to invest in the company. So that's a very unique offering compared to YC or 500, wherein if you participate, you're immediately assuming that you're you're out of X percentage of your, your company. You're she,
2: getting shark tanked.
4: Right. And so and a lot of those companies, unfortunately, you know, it's, it's very detrimental to, um, you know, the standing cap table, while I mean, the net effect of somebody say like YC or, or 500 is incredible, and that, and that's what we've really been trying to build and emulate. Um, because yes, there's the, the three main offerings are really number one by having an open innovation platform, a consortium model, um, you are not smothered by one entity. So we see a lot of that happen where there's like a single tech stars and Barclays program or um, you know Wells Fargo or something where. Uh, the stakeholding uh, business unit or entity has the ability to really push the direction for which you operate and so we give a lot of leverage to our startups by having say 20 large banks work together and that startup can then pick and choose between which partner makes the most sense and and so forth the second is as a result of that not only do they hear all the different kind of regional and and market um, specific insights but their product becomes much better rounded and much more easy to implement so in other words, it's like they're crowdsourcing uh, a diligence process and how their product would fit in the market. Mm-hmm. And that feedback for each of these constituents, whether it's an exchange or an institution um, you know, like the, you know, Deloitte or even you know, some of our partners like Capital One or TD Bank, like all of those inputs are incredibly valuable to the startup. And that's far more valuable than, say, $25,000 that could maybe buy them a, a month of, of building something. Yeah. Um, the third element is the network is you know, not only do they get to deal with these executives, understand what's the best process to work with them. But more importantly, uh, they get to engage with people that are later stage than they are. They get to learn from folks like uh, John Donovan, the ex CEO of Lending Club. And, and, you know, when you have this longstanding history of mentors that have been in, in the, you know, the Internet and then later the financial technology space, all that longitudinal experience can be applied to these companies. And not only that, but the Rolodex that comes with it. So the understanding of how do you approach a, you know, a regulator or get your MSB license, or you know, maybe it's time not to, t- not to talk to the regulator, give yourself an arm rank, um before you get to that point, because um, there's, there's so many nuances in, in this space um, that are different than, say, something like Uber uh, you know, going after the mobility domain. In fintech, you, know, you screw up and you don't abide by regulation, you go to prison. You screw up by going into a market in Portland, Oregon, with Uber, and you price in a lawsuit because you don't abide by the medallion system of that municipality. Whatever your margins lower, you sue them, <laughs> right? Nobody's going to prison. Yeah. But and, and it's a big problem, and you know it's difficult because when you look at places like Singapore um, or Hong Kong or elsewhere, where you have one single agency um, that manages the regulation. That, that writes it, that implements it, that engages with the community. like That is so powerful. And it, it's, it's a whole different ball game. You, you know, less than 5 million people in Singapore compared to 300 million plus here. Um, but from an infrastructure perspective, it's 99%, you know, internet penetration, it's a T1 plus, you know, you're in the top five of internet access in the entire world. And on top of that, um, you know, it's a financial center. So there's a lot of things that become pretty interesting outside of uh, just the United States. And so I, I think, you know, for a startup to be really successful in financial technology, they have to be aware and privy to a lot of the things that they're dealing with. So, if they're like a remittance company, they need to understand the old fact travel rule. They need to know what their risks are. They need to know how to be able to to uh, um, take the information and document everything down for counterparty and make sure they report it correctly. And you know, those are a lot of barriers that you don't really face with Uber, right? No. And then what we saw specifically with the Bit license, well, there's been a massive exodus uh, of of Bitcoin companies out of New York. There's been there's been a lot of pushback and you know, I'm glad to say that I got to put some input into the AB1326 uh, stuff that was coming out, and you know, I wanted to recognize that it was great that they they tried to implement something that you know did for for the most part understand multi-signature and the concept of who was actually um, you know holding the finance finances and and the money, uh, but you know, the reality is is when I'm faced with a situation like that, my response is as well. You know what, if you're going to put barriers in and make me make my, my startups hire chief compliance guy and be bonded and pay a $5,000 fee and this and that, like, I'm just going to ship them to Singapore or Berlin or Luxembourg or Hong Kong because my money goes further there. The government will work with us there. Um, they recognize the upside of what this offers. And at the end of the day, I mean, this company that I work for, they're here to invest for an ROI. I'm, I might have different reasons for why I'm in Bitcoin and FinTech, but, you know that's what my duty is is to find great companies to return money and if if I feel like you know the California state law is going to push back on that well then I have to consider my options
0: cool well Corey if you haven't done that I can say we we both learned a lot about incubators and startups uh, Scott you could have been on any podcast but you came on ours and I really appreciate it and um, I know on Wednesday uh, at the uh, at the forum in Sil- Silicon Valley they're only giving you 10 minutes to give an overview I think that's criminal. I think they should give you more time. <laughs> uh, but thank you for giving us about 30 minutes of your time. I appreciate it. Um, oh, my pleasure. But for, before you go, though, uh, we have one last question that we ask everybody. Um, if you can describe Bitcoin in 10 words or less.
4: Oh, man, that's rough. That's uh, yeah, harder than you think. <laughs> Bitcoin enables, uh, it's definitely going to be more than 10 words. Uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> um, well, also, so when I'm in, when I'm in front of a lot of these financial execs, this is usually what I, and I, you know, I stole a good amount of this from Andreas Antonopoulos, so I have to give him credit for that. But uh, the Bitcoin represents the first solution that enables people to send information uh, across an un- unsecure network to someone they don't know in a secure fashion. And, um, you know, for me, uh, Bitcoin is the world's first transparent financial opportunity that's indiscriminate to whoever uses it. That's There's actually 10 words. Like that.
2: That, that one right there was 10 words. Was it? <laughs> yeah. On wow. oh, the dot. You
0: underestimated yourself.
4: <laughs> well, at least you hit record because I will never remember that one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
2: Check it out. Clip it out and give it to people.
4: Right on. Well, thank you so much, guys. And, yeah, if there's anything I can do to be helpful, uh, anyone that you'd like to talk to, let me know, and I I can try and help. Sure,
2: and you're welcome. Hope to be back on the show sooner or later.
3: You bet. I'd love that. All right, thanks.